All right, let's pray together. We'll start with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you do love us. Thank you, Lord. We, we, uh, we thank you that you love us even though we're flawed. Uh, we are lost and undone without you spiritually. And Lord, as we let you live through us, you can do great things. But Lord, if we are not willing to submit, hum- be humble, willing to be planted, Lord, you have a difficult time working with the arrogant vessel. So Lord, maybe be humble. Bless our time. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. And please fill me with your spirit today. Thank you for so many who uh, are visit, perhaps visiting today. Thank you for those who brought the food today, those who ready, made ready the building for food. Just thank you so much for all these things. May we rejoice in that. And Lord, may with our time together, <clears throat> as we think about the words of, this, of the Gentile seekers of Christ, sir, we would see Jesus. That is asked of us, I believe, on a daily basis. If we claim the name of Christ, that you are our Savior, then the world can really say to us, ma'am, sir, we would see Jesus in you. So Lord, help us to think about that as we listen to the message this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles open, I trust you do. If you forgot your Bible, if you forgot it, it is right there in front of you. There are some pew Bibles. They are black in color. I'm not sure what page it is on there, but John, the fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter 12. We're going through the Gospel of John. We're starting at 20, and I'm reading down to 33. If you'll follow along, please, as I read John chapter 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them, Gentiles, that came up to worship at the feast, the feast of the Passover. Christ has just been inaugurated <clears throat> during the triumphal entry. <clears throat> He's coming to Jerusalem. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will I my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour came I unto the, for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, which stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Or others said, oh, an angel spoke to him or spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world, Satan, be cast out. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. May the Lord his blessing to the reading of his word as Paul's uh, and think about this for just a moment, this idea of, sir, we would see Jesus. And that is a call for all of us. If you say, I'm a child of God, then the, the people who work with you or on your same street or whatever, they can rightly say, we would see Jesus in your life. So there's about four things for jotting down notes. In the back of the bulletin, there's a, some blank space there for you to jot down notes. First, we see the desire of the Gentiles, and there's the petitioners in 20. And there came certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The feast was the Passover feast. It was the last really important feast because at this feast, Christ was going to give his life on the cross. And so all the precursor lambs that were slain every Passover, picturing what was going to be done all the way back from Egypt, that picture is now going to be fulfilled. So after Christ died, there's no need for the Passover anymore as it was in the past. And so he's the Passover lamb. And so these Gentile 
men came, people came up, and they were not prob, probably not full proselytes, which would simply mean they had signed on to Judaism, obeying all the rules of Judaism. They were God seekers, if you would. There were those who were maybe worshipped in the synagogue, but they were looking. Uh, they were looking for Christ. They came to worship at the feast, and so that's the petitioners. And what was the purpose in 21? The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And I've seen that on different pulpits in my lifetime. Sir, we would see Jesus. And when the, the, the per, person's up there preaching, that's what you want to see. It's not clever gimmicks. Paul was a, a brilliant man, far more brilliant than I could ever even think about being. Yet he simply preached the cross of Christ. That's what he preached. And so we want to see Jesus. We want to see it in his word. We want to hear it from his word, if you would. So a few days had possibly elapsed between Christ riding the donkey into Jerusalem, maybe a day or two or three, and his triumphant entry and this text. It's interesting, uh, his life began, Gentiles from the east, the wise men came to his birth, and now we have as the close, the Gentiles from the west, we would see Jesus. In the meantime, the Lord had cleansed the, temp- the temple of the money changers, as you can see in other gospel accounts. Perhaps they came to Philip because he was from Bethsaida. Perhaps he, uh, they were com- perhaps he even knew them. Saying, the word saying in verse 21 is in a continual tense. They just kept over and over. We, they wanted an interview with Jesus. That's what they wanted. They wanted to see Jesus. Can you imagine how many requests for private interviews there were with Jesus? Uh, and, they, and they did not necessarily, for some, did fear the consequences of the Pharisees, but them being from outside Jerusalem, perhaps they did not fear those consequences. They wanted to see Jesus. I'm going to change a little nuance here. They actually wanted to see Jesus. For us this morning, they want to see Jesus in me and, and you. And that's what they want to see. And they have a right to see it, really, if you say you're a Christian. Petitioners, the purpose, and then there's the partnering. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. We see that he referred the request, he passed it on to Andrew, and then the two went together to Jesus, is why I call it partnering. We should note that so far from the passage, evidently the Greeks did not get the answer to what they asked for, wasn't granted to them. Two possibilities, perhaps one reason we might think about this and not trying to, to, by the way, we are all Gentiles. If you are not Jewish, you are Gentile, which is most about 14, 15 million Jews in the entire world. So there's a whole lot more Gentiles than there are Jews, and we understand that. So Christ coming to earth as the looking for the lost sheep of the house of Israel in the flesh, as the king of the Jews, it was not the complete story. The Gentiles needed a Christ who would come, the Messiah, and die on the cross for their sin. See, the Gentiles are seen as the seed of Abraham, where the Jews are the seed of David. And so perhaps that's why they come looking, or perhaps why he did not talk with them. I'm sure Jesus was very, very, very busy. There were those who were always about trying to kill him. Another reason, based on the raising of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus had just been raised a few days ago. The news is far and wide. Remember at the triumphant entry, they, they came out of Jerusalem and they were coming up from Bethany and they met there all praising the Lord for what? Lazarus is alive. Now praise the Lord for that. And then they ushered him into Jerusalem, if you would. So really, Jesus might have said, you know, you really don't need to see me. Just go look at Lazarus. He is now living the same kind of life, a, a resurrected life. When you see the life of Lazarus that he's leaving living, you see the life that I am living. So when you see Lazarus, you see me. 
He could have said something like that. Perhaps that's why he didn't talk to them individually. We would see Christ. I tell you, for us as a believer, we are to be the kind of Christian that other people say, wow, there's something different about you. We should be genuine. We would see Jesus. And by the way, that's what he's been saying for 2,000 years. The songwriter said, Christ liveth in me. And that is true. And the Holy Spirit takes us and conforms us from glory to glory. He's changing me. So as I get older, I should become more and more like Jesus, right? As parents, we've become, my my wife has said different times, oh, I'm becoming just like my mom. My mom said that. I'm I'm acting just like my mom. And I'm acting like my dad. We become more and more like our parents, it seems. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of, of, of my mom's homegoing. I'm thankful to have had two godly parents train me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've heard the gospel message, you are privileged beyond billions of people who have been born on planet Earth. Billions die never hearing the true gospel message that Jesus died for you and that he was buried, and that he rose again, conquering death, that we too one day might be raised to live with him. That's the gospel message. It's a repentance of our sins, asking him to save us. Makes a difference in our lives, really should. So that was the desire of the Gentiles. And then there's the death of the genuine, it'll be Jesus, the period then in 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come. That the Son of Man should be glorified. He's been putting off this hour for three and a half years of ministry, but now it's at hand. This is the Passion Week. This is the triumphant entry. This is the Gethsemane. This is the Last Supper, Gethsemane. And then there's the trials, and there's the crucifixion, the burial. And the next first Lord, the next Sunday, it's the resurrection. It's the Passion Week, eight-day-long week. So important, perhaps, I would dare say, the most important week of history in the humankind. Christ died for us and was buried and rose again. The period, and there's a proposal in 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now the corn of wheat there is signified the seed of the wheat, if you would. And all gardening and farming, which I would not know since I'm not much of a gardener, but most gardeners understand the principle that you have to sow it in the ground and then it brings forth, it dies and brings forth fruit that's the whole purpose of sowing we bring it into the ground it dies and then a fruit comes about there was a a a pastor farmer was digging up a mess of potatoes in his garden and he accidentally dug up a sermon as well on the first hill of potatoes there was seven beautiful large potatoes but when he plunged his fork under the next plant there was only three scrawny ones as small as marbles he saw the reason For some reason or another, the original seed potato had failed to die. It looked just like he had put it into the ground months earlier. And there was no death. There was no fruit. No fruit because of that. So the proposal is the seed must be put into the ground and die. And there's there's both beauty and bounty when the seed dies. There's also sometimes it takes quite a self-sacrifice. It was 1941, and there was Polish Jews were in Auschwitz, and there was a Maximilian Kolb, who was a Franciscan priest, and he was put in that infamous, infamous death camp as well. They were, as you know, Jews were cruelly treated during war, prior leading up to world during World War II. And so, if you, people tried to escape, they would take then ten people and put them into a cell and just let them die. 
starvation, illness, whatever it was. So one person, I was reading this morning, one person escaped, and so they called forth ten men. We're going to put you ten men in the cell to die. To tell, this says to everybody else, no more escaping. So the, there was a man named, a Polish Jew, named Franceszek uh, Gajalczyk. Gajalczyk is a big name, G. Called him Francesca G, G. And he cried, he said, wait. His name was called. He said, wait, I have a wife and children. And this father, Kolb, said, you know, I'll take his place. And he willingly went into the cell at Auschwitz. I was reading, after 14 days, all of them had died but him. And the, 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 they wanted to clear out the area, and so they gave him some, uh, some acid, carbonic acid, into his veins and killed him. Uh, he hadn't died, but they killed him anyway. And so the main thing I want to say is this Polish Jew... G, Mr. G, at 82, was telling the story. And it was on NBC News, and, and tears were running down his cheeks. And he goes outside, and there's a little a monument that reads, In memory of Maximilian Kolb, he died in my place. And he says, every day he has lived since 1941, he has known that I live because someone died for me. Every day we live spiritually. I tell you, we live because someone, Christ, died for us on the cross. That's why we live. Because of him, nothing about all that we can do, he died in our place. So the seed, like what Wiersbe said, if a seed could talk, it would no doubt complain about being put into the cold, dark earth. But the only way it can achieve its goal is by being planted. The only way you and I, Christian, can achieve the goal God has called for us is to be planted in his service and then die to ourselves and then let God use us to bring forth fruit. He challenges us that is surrender. Note the contrast, loneliness or fruitlessness. Losing your life or keeping your life. Serving yourself or serving Christ. Pleasing yourself or pleasing God. You know, we've got to to let go of our own self-importance. We're not that important, really, outside of what God uses us for. Mark Starr, the former quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, was describing to a group of businessmen... How his coach, Vince Lombardi, held absolute power. He stated you'd enter Vince Lombardi's office and you'd notice a big mahogany desk with this impressive organizational chart on the wall. The chart was this. The top in a nice plaque was Vince Lombardi, head coach, general manager. And right down below that was the big lettering, everybody else. So, So this is, it's me. And then there's everybody else. So you want to know where you stand? That's where you stand. You're in the everybody else category. The smallest package in the world is a person, what, wrapped up in himself? Smallest package is a person wrapped up in himself. An Indian convert said it this way when he got saved. He said, in broken English, he said, Indian lay down blanket, Indian lay down pipe, Indian lay down tomahawk, Indian lay down Indian. Indian lay down Indian. And I know it's probably not politically correct, but that's, that's the illustration. That's what he said. Have you, Christian, laid down yourself? Can people, sir, we would see Jesus? We are in a world that doesn't know, often they're so confused and doesn't know where are the answers. The answer is Jesus. It's not a party, it's not a plan, it's Jesus, the person. So, Pastor, if I receive him as my Savior, then I'll have no more problems? No, 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 no. It means that he'll be with you through those problems and through the difficulties. 
It's interesting that if you remember back Caiaphas in chapter 11, 51, he says expedient that one die for the nation. Well, Jesus picks up on that, really, and changes it, transforms it. He had to die and to be buried or else he would abide alone. But because Jesus died and was buried and rose again, that was, and God, by the way, when he raised him, was God saying, I accept the payment. And now we too, as his children, can look forward to resurrection, to everlasting life. I will tell you, the default position for every single human being, now we know what default position is, right? If you get your computer messed up, you want to go back to the default settings. It's like the standard settings. The default possession or position of the humankind is lost. We're lost and undone. We are born in sin. As soon as I think, personally believe, as soon as we understand the gospel and we say no, then we're responsible. You heard the gospel. You know you're a sinner. The Bible's clear about that. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The fall position is death. This is the wonderful news. It's about everlasting life. Life with Jesus. He not only made you, he died for you. You are twice purchased, if you would. Perhaps in, in, in these Gentile seekers, Christ saw the harvest that would come. Interestingly enough, uh, the church's first major missionary enterprise was a work at Antioch among the Greek people of the city. Paul's missionary journeys, he, he spoke in the Greek cities of the Roman Empire, much fruit. And regardless of your race, every person who through faith in Christ received eternal life is part of the spiritual harvest that resulted from his death. He offers you salvation. Whether you are a billionaire or you're scraping together two pennies every day just to get eat by, he offers that to you. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. That's what a wonderful promise that is. What a wonderful promise. So there's a period, there's a proposal, and the principle in 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Death, it's a paradox, and the death is the way to life. The way to serve is to die to self. That's a paradox, because we are told in our culture, do, do and get, do all that you want to do. The paradox is this. Every person has to determine which world he or she intends to live for. Either we're going to live for heaven and Christ, or we're going to live for this world. Honor comes, by the way, after service. He would be glorified. But through death and resurrection, the Jews were looking for some, some uh, General Schwarzkopf to come by and riding a big horse. Or, I don't know, maybe The Rock. Uh, J- Dwayne Johnson riding on a big stallion with all his muscles bulging and able to beat up anybody. That's what we're looking for, a, a Roman to beat up the Romans. What they're looking for, Jesus came, though, on a donkey. What's up with that? He came in peace as the Prince of Peace to offer spiritual, spiritual salvation, not Getting off Roman, not getting away from Rome. Anyone that thinks, though, by the way, some would say, well, he, the, the, the cross was just, just a, a last second idea. No, the cross was from eternity past. If you think that Christ offered the kingdom to Israel without the cross and thinks the cross is only a reaction because Israel's unbelief, he is a fool. Matter of fact, Jesus said to the two on Emmaus Road, 
They said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? From the beginning he was slain from the foundation of the world. That was the plan. It's possible today to have a saved soul and a lost life. A saved soul, but a lost life. What do you mean? I mean, we can have so many people profess faith in Christ, and some are, I'm sure, genuinely saved, but they never served. You've never, you ever, people have never gotten involved in doing anything. They've got their fire insurance. Yes, we're going to escape out of hell and be in heaven, but what have you done for the cause of Christ? Martyrs. Can you imagine those who have reward for those who have given their lives? Those who have forsaken houses and lands, the missionaries in the late 1800s, I believe, early 1900s, would pack all their belongings. The missionary go into a foreign field, put all their belongings where? In a casket. In their casket, because they knew they weren't coming back. They were going for the, their life. They were giving their lives in service. Those who were giving their lives to tribes in the deepest, the, the deepest part of Africa or South America, tribes that don't give a hoot about them. Spend 20 years translating the New Testament into their language. What about the prayer warriors who have prayed for hours a day here in America, across the world? There's going to be rewards for how you have served. The desire of the Gentiles, the death of the genuine, the demonstration of glory in 27. There's a troubled soul. Now is my soul troubled, 1227. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There's a nice, there's a colon, a very important colon. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause, come I unto this hour. That's why he is here. And aren't you glad he went to Calvary all the way? Aren't you glad he didn't get to that last night in the Gethsemane? I'm just not going to do it. I just am not going to do it. I'm not going to be separated from God. I don't care what. He didn't do that. He went all the way. And the worst thing was that battle in Gethsemane where I've got to drink the sin, your sin, my sin, sins of the world. He's got to take that upon himself. He's bearing your sin on Calvary. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I wasn't there. We were there. We were there. We were there. And be thankful you were there and your sins were at Calvary. Can you imagine if you only died for the sins of those who had already been born? And didn't die for us. He died for, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. So the demonstration of glory, there's a troubled soul. The thoughts lead to Calvary. And by the way, it was, a, it was a way of the cross, the Via Dolorosa. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I catch you wait. Were you there when he comes? I forget how, but the last part goes when he comes again. It's going to be amazing. I trust that you're ready for his return to the world, for his church. One commentator said this regarding the Jesus portrayed in the book of John. He says that Johannan, Johannan Jesus is no docetic actor in a drama about to play a part which he can contemplate dispassionately because he doesn't really involve himself. Just the opposite is true. He's getting ready to take on your sin. He's going to feel the effects of our infirmities upon himself. It's going to be an awful time. The worst part will be separated from the Father. We believe in the Trinitarian view, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, and when the Father is separated from the Son, they've been together from eternity past in perfect union, and the Father has to turn his back on the Son. Why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus bore your sin. He paid the penalty for you. Well, pastor, I think, I think, I think I'm going to try to pay it myself. You can't. You're going to spend eternity in a crisis eternity called hell trying to pay and never being successful. 
is the gift of God. I could offer you my phone. You may not want it. Maybe you don't have a phone. But, you know, if I could offer it to you, I could say, Stephanie, you want my phone? I've got one already. Thank you. But it's a gift. But she would have to take it. It doesn't, if she doesn't take it, I guess I'll keep it. Same as the gift of eternal life. It's a gift, but you must receive it. You simply can't pass, oh, well, I think I'll just wait and do nothing. No, you must receive it. He, he's offered the gift. Will you confess and repent and receive him? There also was a thundered saying in 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, this is the third time God spoke audibly, the Father audibly from heaven. The first was a baptism. Then there was the transfiguration. And now there is this time. It's a loud noise. The people are mystified. They said, perhaps it thundered or maybe an angel spake to him. They were not sure. And then there's a teaching sound in verse 30. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. For your sakes. Linsky says, this miraculous reply was for the disciples that they might hear directly and with their own ears both that the Father had indeed answered Jesus and what the answer was. It was another attestation of the Father of the clearest and strongest kind that Jesus was his beloved Son. It was saying, yes, I approve of what he's done. Yes, he's done so much. And I agree he is the consummate Son, perfectly doing. Jesus recognized the voice. They were unsure. The pronouncement was for the disciples. Either they understood it or he told them later. He'd be glorified. I think the glorified there refers to when God was glorified at the temptation in the wilderness when Jesus passed those tests with flying colors. And now he's going to be glorified at Calvary. Remember the promise from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The serpent is going to bruise his heel, but the son is going to crush his head. Satan. And that, of course, is a deathly blow. And here it comes. So there, finally, there's the declaration of the gift. And there's the judgment of the cruel in 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The word prince there in the Greek is archon. It's, simply, uh, it's used applied to Satan three times in this prince of the world. He's also the prince of demons and the prince of the power of the air. Here Satan is going to be cast out in the sense that his authority and influence if the domain is this world, then if the world has changed and his authority has changed, he will have nothing to rule, cast out. Sin really started in heaven when Satan said, you know, I want to be greater than God. And he had, was cast out of heaven, came to earth. He tempted Eve. She said, yes. Adam knowingly just went along with Eve. And here we are, lost and undone without Christ. Judgment is going to come. The die was cast. The Jewish people could have said yes to Christ, and I believe he would have formulated the kingdom right there. He had the tribulation was started, etc. But they said no. The, 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 as a whole, the verdict was passed that he was a demoniac or a blasphemer or a national danger. We've got to get rid of him. And behind all that, yes, who was behind all that? Was Satan? You want to know who is the number one, if you would, enemy of God and the world and the universe? It is Satan. He's, you wonder why there's so much corruption in the world and, and sin. I think Satan and his demonic hosts are behind those things. Who was behind uh, Muhammad in the 6th or 7th century to start Islam? Who do you think instigated that stuff? Over a, well, over a billion, a billion and a half people follow Islam today. They're following a false god to a false eternity. The judgment of the cruel. 
he will be cast out. By the way, I read the end of the book. God wins. Satan doesn't. He is going to be placed. By the way, it says in Matthew 5.41 that hell was created for the devil and his angels, which is true. But if you walk over the blood of Christ shed at Calvary and say, you know, I don't want any part of that. He might have died for me, but I can just live my own life and do my own thing. I don't want any part of a, a crucified Jesus. You're going to end up there as well. The lake of fire. You read, read the end of Revelation chapter 20, 11 to 15. All unbelievers will stand. He'll say, depart from me and they will be cast into the eternal lake of fire forever and ever, of which there is no escape. The judgment of the cruel, and there's the judgment of Christ in 2032, 1232. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The cross is the great divide of humanity. On the one side, remember the thief on the cross, the one side just gnashed in his teeth and, and he was so angry and he died and went to, to, to hell. The other thief said, remember me, Lord, and I'm a sinner. Why are you not doing this? And he received Christ that day and he went to paradise with Christ. The, the cross is the dividing line in history. Either receive him for the payment of your sins or you do not. He would deal decisively at the cross with Satan. The prince of this world is cast out. Provide salvation. And by the way, he has set the standard of forgiving. Jesus gave all that he had for us. I wonder what we are giving in return. I, I read this, came across this this week, and I thought I would share it this morning as we head toward the closing part. When James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, the captain of the ship sought to turn him back. The captain said, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. And the missionary said, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. In other words, they knew from the get-go that their life was forfeit. And I found this poem that ran right along with that. I had walked life's path with an easy tread, have followed where comfort and pleasure led. And then by chance in a quiet place, I met my master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for goal, much thought for body, but none for my soul. I had entered to win this life's mad race when I met my master face to face. I had built my castles, reared them high till their towers had pierced the blue sky. I had sworn to rule with an iron mace when I met my master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes were full of sorrow and they were fixed on me. And I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles vanished and melted away. Melted and vanished and in their place I saw naught else but my master's face. And I cried aloud, O oh, make me meet to follow the marks of thy wounded feet. My thought is now for the souls of men I have lost my life to find it again. Ever since alone in that holy place, my master and I stood face to face. And that is it. When you meet the Christ, your life changes. Another missionary was serving in a distant country and a group went over to visit them. And as they watched the dedicated missionary team at work, they were impressed with their ministry. But they said that you missionaries, you've missed civilization. You certainly have buried yourself out here, said one of the visitors. And one missionary said, oh no, we haven't buried ourselves. We were planted. 
we were planted. I, I don't know where you, I know I'm where most of you work. I'm not sure exactly what you're going to face tomorrow. But if you're a child of God, you have been planted in that place. You are here for such a time as this. You have opportunities abound to serve, to show Christ. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Three applications, and we pray. The unbeliever, if you're here without Christ, you say, Pastor, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. You need to trust him. He died on the cross, clearly in the Bible, that you might have life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It involves, A, admitting that you're a sinner. Repent of that sin. Believing he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And then confess that sin and call upon him to be your Savior. That's the unbeliever for the nominal Christian. If you're a nominal Christian, I would ask you, are you sure of your relationship with God? Number one. And it's, it's the game of the Christian. It's not a game. The Christian life is a matter of fact. He says, take up your what and follow me, your cross. It's not a game. It is a everyday event. We're asking Christ. Are you willing to be planted? Are you willing to die to self? Wow, I said it's a little bit much, isn't it, pastor, to die to self? Well, not really. If you want to follow and for the disciple we would see Jesus in you this week. And all the things that happen in your life, your co-workers, I was talking to Sue about how busy she is. I'm busy. My seat by as a CFO of where I'm working gave his resignation on Friday, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. Well, I'm busier in a one-armed paper hanger, most likely. But will they see Jesus in us? Let's pray. Lord, this morning... The gospel is this, that you died on the cross to save sinners, of which I am chief. <laughs> I admit, Paul said he was chief. And Lord, sometimes we, we think far too much of ourselves. Without you, we are nothing. But I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Lord, if we're trying to live this Christian life on our own, we're going to fail miserably time and time and time again. Lord, please help us that we'll be serious about this. We're reading our Bibles and prayer and give us opportunities to share this good news. You are the answer. It's not another plan. It's not more money. It's not this, that, or whatever you might want to call it. It's not, these, it's not a, the stock market going forward. It's not any of that. It's, it's you. Because, Lord, circumstances will change at the whim of the wind. But you are the same. You are the rock of ages. Cleft for me. Lord, may we find ourselves hiding ourselves in you every day. Lord, again, if there be those who do not know your Savior, may they come this morning during invitation time and allow someone to take God's word and show them how they too can be saved. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.